right, Joe, thank you very much for joining us today. How are things in Charlotte? Things in Charlotte are warming up. Joe, the lithium price is showing no signs of abating. It was up over 140% in 2022, and I, I get the sense that it will continue into 2023. But before we do that, why don't we just start with a brief overview of your firm, Global Lithium. Where's the firm based and what services do you offer? I am based in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's an advisory services firm. I deal with clients on five continents. Uh, we really do what, whatever the need is. If I'm dealing with a junior lithium producer, it's one thing. If I'm dealing with a government, it's something else. Or if I'm dealing with a purchaser, obviously their needs are all different. And I just try to customize the service to the need. So you're also the host of the Global Lithium Podcast. I'm a listener of that, by the way. But how often do you do interviews and where can our listeners find this podcast? It's on all the major podcast uh, services, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, occasionally, I put one out that's only on my website just to drive a little traffic to my website. And they those episodes tend to do pretty well. It comes out on average about every two weeks. And you're also very active on Twitter. What's your Twitter account? At Global Lithium. So let's move on now and discuss the lithium price. It was up, up over 400% in 2021, up over 100% in 2022. Where is it going to go in 2023, Joe? You have to look at price in a couple of different ways. Most people refer to the China spot price because that's gotten all the publicity. Where most of the price changes are going to happen, significant price changes will happen, in 2023 is probably on the contract side. They tend to lag spot and we've seen them, their rise obviously would be later if you have a formula that has a trailing spot price. And there's also different formulas people use. So we've seen, uh, if you looked at 2022, last year you would have seen the biggest dispersion of prices that's ever happened. We had $10 contract prices that were still in effect, and we had $80 uh, a kilo, a kilo uh, spot price. You're going to see convergence in 2023, 2024, as long-term contracts fall off, formulas come into play. I don't think the upward pressure is over on price. I do think that there's some big players in China that are active battery guys who benefit the most from lower lithium prices or trying to talk the market down. And that coupled with a recessionary environment for a time could drive the spot price lower. But the Goldman Sachs of the world, the Morgan Stanley's of the world who are continually forecasting uh, lithium price dropping off a cliff are, are just wrong. And they, they have a, they have a well-developed track record of being wrong. And I'm glad you brought up Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley has said the long-term price will be below the marginal cost to produce. What do they have wrong or what do they see differently than what you see? What I don't think they've internalized, even now covering it for years, is that it takes about two years to build a big battery factory. It takes about 10 years to do a greenfield lithium project on average. Hard rock can be faster than that. 
but you also have to look at the vertical integration. And it's just the track record is supply it takes a long time. And now you've got a situation where you're going to have a tenfold increase in lithium demand, at least between 2020 and 2030. Nobody disputes that. Actually, my demand numbers are lower than most banks. Where the banks get it wrong is they, they have young analysts who read DFS, definitive feasibility studies, and believe them. And that's the biggest mistake you can make is not factoring in that those are very optimistic, generally speaking, and the timing. Canaccord has a great gra graphic they do, and I think the headline is all lithium projects are late. And I think they can say that uh, it's true. And uh, if if anybody has access to, to their work, uh, Take a look at that because it it really shows DFS will say it's going to be in June of 2020 and it winds up being April of 23. That's a significant difference when you're talking about big increments of capacity coming online. So you touched on demand and a big driver of demand are EVs and we've seen a huge growth in, in the adoption of EVs here in the last couple of years. But many countries, including the UK, Germany, and Belgium, they've all said they wanna ban the sale of new gas cars by 2030. The Biden administration has said that they would like to see 50% of our, all car sales be electric by 2030. Is this possible given the current production levels of lithium? I would say no. And it's there's some facts to back me up. If you look at having 50% EV penetration in the United States, of course you can you can make your estimate on whether the car market's going to increase or decline over that time with with car sharing and some of the things people talk about uh, in the future. But let's look at where it is today in the shortage that just really tepid EV penetration has caused. We're in a structural lithium shortage now with EV penetration. I'm, when I talk EVs, I talk pure EVs. I don't throw hybrids in. It's well under 10% in the United States. It actually is, this year will, will be over five, but when you're talking about being in 2023 and moving to 50%, in 2030 in a country that produces less than 1% of the lithium. When I started in this business, US production was a significant part of global supply. Now it is very hard to get a project permitted. And that's the big disconnect in the US. And I would say probably you could say North America as well that not enough's being done to invest in the resources. The US government's throwing out a lot of money for downstream capital, but it doesn't do you much good to, to build a huge battery factory if there's no battery metals uh, to support it. That seems obvious, but when you start looking at what's really happening, it will become obvious, I believe in 2023, that something's gotta give on the resource side and permitting has to be streamlined in North America, or there's gonna be a huge uh, disconnect in uh, the numbers people wanna see and the pronouncements that we're not gonna, 
you know, some car makers say we're not going to sell ICEs. Some government saying we're not going to allow ICEs to be sold. I think those will be cans that get kicked down the road uh, unless something happens in 2023. So we're going to have a bunch of gigafactories just sitting there idle. Yeah, well, you do you do now in China. I mean, China, it's but that's typical in China. China will build capacity. I lived in China for five years. I spent a lot of time driving through cities that had block after block of, of apartment buildings with no lights on at night because they were just shells. That hasn't happened in the U.S. up until now because we haven't done that much as far as putting battery capacity in when you take Tesla out of it. But there are a lot of plans and there's a, a lot of money now being loaned at low interest rates or somehow subsidized uh, to build battery capacity in the United States. And again, where where is the raw material going to come from? The Biden administration likes to say, well, we'll buy it from our friends. But if you go to our the countries where our friends are, the Chinese have already bought a lot of that capacity. I want to move the discussion now toward M&A. We've seen some M&A activity here in the last couple of years. Late in 2022, Lithium America's acquired Arena Minerals. That deal still hasn't closed yet, but BHP also acquired Oz Minerals, and Rio Tinto has also said that they want to get involved in Lithium. Do you think M&A will continue into 2023, or have valuations gotten too high? Well, I think valuations are high but they've they've come down recently uh like everything else has in the market i do believe you will see a major energy company make an acquisition i don't know if it'll happen in 23 or maybe 24 but i can tell you they're all looking you you know you've seen coke industries invest in a couple of lithium projects uh, they're not a they're not an energy company per se, but they're a hundred billion dollar company that has put investment across the battery spectrum, whether it's recycling or upstream and into DLE technology. I think you'll see one of the what you would have called one of the seven sisters. <laughs> if you're familiar with the old oil days, which is where I started my career, I think you will see one of them get in the game and. Obviously, they have the balance sheets to take out any. Uh, there are no large lithium companies. So I want to move the conversation now toward Canada. You mentioned earlier that the only way the U.S. is going to meet its its goals is by acquiring lithium and other battery metals from its friends, and Canada is one of those friends. But currently, Canada does not produce any lithium, but that will change when Siona Mining starts producing sometime here in Q1. The Australians have been coming to Canada here in mass. Ken Brinson, the former CEO of Pilbara, is heading up Patriot Battery Metals. Luke Cox is running Green Technology Metals. Chris Evans is running Winsome Resources, just to name a few. Do you think this speaks to the quality and the potential of, of lithium resources in Ontario and Quebec? I think it speaks to the fact that Everybody realizes now Western Australia can't supply the world in a in a 50% EV penetration environment. Western Australia has done a great job 
of backstopping the failure of South American brine to, to ramp up quickly. And to continue on with this point, uh, do you think the Australians will be able to kickstart the lithium industry in Canada? So instead of just having one producer, we have two or three? Oh, I think you'll have a, a number of, if you, look, if you look out five years, I mean, Allchem, another Australian company also has an asset at James Bay. So you've got, Two of the best, Ken Brinsden did a magnificent job with Pilbara. Nobody knows the hard rock world better than Cam Henry and Primero, who are involved with green technology metals. I think the fact that they are now turning their uh, sights on Canada is just indicative that the money's going to be there because of the programs in the United States and some in Canada as well to support programs. And that was the, if you go back five years, the biggest issue when I did presentations around the world was you couldn't get a lithium project financed. That is no longer the case. Good, good projects. Uh, there's, there's going to be money there. Uh, let's just see if the permitting processes are fast enough to keep up with what the Aussies that are involved now in Canada, how, how fast they want to move. Yeah, that's a very good point because that's the one thing that always gets in the way is the permitting process. I want to move on now and discuss a recent trip you did to Australia. You met with many producers, developers, and explore coasts when you were there. What were the biggest takeaways from that trip? Well, I, I think that Australia is still going to grow and it's going to grow rapidly. And there's, there are dozens of projects out there. You've got, uh, I, I always like to plug global lithium resources because they copied my name and, and they've got a, they've got a talented MD down there, uh, Ron Mitchell, who worked for uh, Tanchi and Tallison for years. Uh, I see Australia continuing to grow, but I also see, Aussies going out, whether it's Canada or South America, there is hard rock in South America. You're going to see Sigma start production this year and Latin resources just got uh, Peter Oliver on their board and Peter ran the biggest lithium mine in the world for over a decade, uh, green bushes. So you have people that understand what it takes to get things done. If you go back to Namaska, Namaska was run by a lawyer. <laughs> and after a decade of futility, it showed. Uh, maybe we'll see that asset Wabuchi produce now that Livevent's involved uh, with a government entity in Quebec. I'm curious, when you travel the world, you're meeting with many different clients, many investors. What's your sense? Is there still a lot of people not involved in this trade in spite of the moves that we've seen here in the last couple of years and the lithium price and also the producers and developers? Yeah, I think if you look at, there's such skepticism about lithium stocks and there, and there always will be, I think, for until it's a truly a mature industry. And you have to keep in mind that the entire market global market for lithium chemicals didn't reach a billion dollars until 2015. That is a incredible statistic that people, you know, fail to internalize. You have um, a number of 
I would say quality companies, but when the lithium price, if you just take the BMX auction that Pilbara does on Spodgeme, and that's, if we go back two years or go back to 2020 and it was June, I had Ken Brinson on my podcast and it was the very darkest of dark times in WA for the, the new producers. They were getting about $350 a ton for their spodumene. The last BMX was still over 8,000, admittedly for a small quantity, but it was slightly lower than the one before and the stocks all got hammered. But if you started doing the analysis on the profits, if you just look at the change in Pilbara's balance sheet in a year, uh, you have to wonder what people are thinking. And I, I think it's still, a lot of people still don't believe that we've hit the hockey stick in the in EV demand. There's still, I think, a lot of cynicism out there about uh, where this is going. And, and I'm, I came to the, I, I've been involved in this since it started. And I was slow to, you know, I, I've looked at false starts in EV demand in 2008 with the leaf and Obama's pronouncement that he'd, he'd get a million EVs sold in his first term. That didn't happen. Tesla was a darling. And then, you know, they've had issues. Now everybody looks at them uh, like my whole, my area where I live, I call it model threeville now. And if you go back a couple of years, you couldn't find Tesla anywhere near where I live. So, you know, we've seen those changes, but I still think uh, lithium, because lithium price is hard to predict, you can't hedge it. There's not an effective financial instrument in the industry. I think that that's hurt as well. So in spite of the move that we've seen in the last couple of years, you're still very bullish on the lithium sector and also the lithium price. Well, you don't have to have anywhere near the current prices for a project in Canada to be very, very attractive. What we have now though, is because China is often thought of as you know, leading the lithium industry, that's a myth because they have the worst assets of any of the major countries that are trying to produce lithium. China doesn't, China doesn't dominate lithium resources. They have low quality hard rock and they have low quality brine. So they have to go out outside uh, to do what they, they, they need to do. And uh, a place like Canada now, you've got a lot of good hard rock assets and you've got a pricing situation where what China has to do to stay in the game is develop a hard rock called lapidolite. If they bring 100,000 or 150,000 tons on in the next few years, good for them, but that just ensures profit because they'll be the high end of the cost curve. And I, I, the lithium price is completely disconnected from the cost curve, which is odd in this type of industry. I think it will remain disconnected for several years, but when it comes back to cost curve pricing, lapidolite's gonna ensure Canadians can make a lot of money because if you're you're dealing with an average of one percent li2o in a Canadian project or above and less than point you know zero point three or uh, point two nine I think is the last one I heard percent 
Li2O in a big project in uh, in China. And there's a lot of waste. And if you start talking about ESG, that doesn't pass the ESG test either, the way they have to mine that. Joe, as we wrap up, you've mentioned you're very positive on the lithium price, but if there was one possible catalyst which may take which might take the price lower in 2023, what would it be? I think it's uh, fear of recession on one hand and a concerted effort by some of the big buying parties of lithium, the battery guys, particularly in China, who are trying to talk lithium prices down. There's a lot of discussion in the press about the fact that lithium prices have to come down. And you see even the big banks, and these, these are Western banks, in addition to some of the big, uh, bigger ones in China, that are in many cases predicting extended shortages, but the price going down by up to two-thirds to 70%, and also forecasting a spodumene price that would make the cost curve much higher than their price. So there's a lot of, I think, bad analysis and just a distrust of what they like to call a commodity. And lithium's still a specialty chemical. But if you want to look at it in the commodity lens, it's always the high, pr high prices fix high prices. I believe that's true. But I believe in the case of lithium, it'll take a couple of decades for that to be fully realized. Well, Joe, that was a very insightful conversation on lithium, and I want to thank you for spending time with us today. I would remind all of our viewers to check out Joe's podcast, the Global Lithium Podcast. I'm a listener and a huge fan, and it provides a wealth of information on anything and everything to do with lithium. Once again, Joe, thank you. Thank you very much.